Let me just read it. The first 18 verses. This is the prologue of John, which means this is the introduction. And these, in these 18 verses, uh, the Gospel of John, what we're going to find out, we went through Romans, which showed us exactly who we are in Christ, as Paul was telling us about ourselves and how we live. The Gospel of John is one of the easiest ways for us to get to understand who Jesus is and, and who, he, who He was when He was walking around on the earth, who he, he is now as He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. I don't have my rag to wipe off the board. Let me, uh, you just read. One of y'all read 1 John 1 through 18 and I'll find it. Oh, never mind, I found it. Uh, okay, now I'll read. It goes, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. I'm just going to read through verse 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Who is the He? Who is He talking about? Jesus. Okay. Now, have you ever watched a movie that's like a mystery movie? And it's like a whodunit, and you're, you're just like... You know, in suspense as to wondering about who's going to be the criminal, who's going to... And when you find out, it surprises you, and you're all good. And then you go back and try to watch it again. It's kind of hard to get the same sense of, you know, because when you see the, when you see the person that did it, you know, you never knew before, but now you know, you're like... They did it, you know, and there's no surprise. It kind of takes the, the surprise out of it, kind of takes the mystique out of it, the whatever. I want to try to do that. If you were, if you were reading this book, now we know that the Word is Jesus. Because later on in these verses, he's going to say the Word became flesh. But if you were reading this for the first time... Up until this point, he hadn't revealed to you that the word that he's talking about here was Jesus. The word of God in the Old Testament is, it's how God created. You know, remember in Genesis and in the beginning, God said, let there be, and there was. And the word of God is all, always, it's kind of personified. You know what personified means? It's, it's like when they make animals talk and stuff, that's brought to life, yeah. Because it says, it always says the word of God came to the prophet, whoever. You know, the word of God came and the word of God said and the word of God did. And so, in the, in the beginning was the word. What does that remind you of? In the beginning was the word. What would be the first thing you think of when you read that? Genesis. Genesis, right. John is taking us through this first 18 verses of John. It's like a narrative structure. You have, it starts before creation. In the beginning, the Word already was. There, he was with him in the beginning. And it goes down through the creation. It says, in him all things were made and everything that wasn't made was, you know, without him nothing was made. Then it skips over just about all of human history and comes to the fulfillment when Jesus came. The Word became flesh. You know, in him was life. The life, you know, shown among us and, and those kind of things. And that's the culmination of God's saving purposes. And then it shows us that we have to respond to that word. You know, it says there's some that did not receive him. We're going to read that in a minute. And some that did receive him. And then 
it shows us that Jesus, the Word of God, is the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament. So it kind of just walks you through everything we're going to talk about in the in John. When I wrote that, when I wrote that book, I sent it to the publisher. And they sent it back and they said, you know, you, you really didn't do this right because you're supposed to outline everything you're going to be talking about in the first chapter. Tell the reader what to expect and all that kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to, I guess that's what you're supposed to do. Well, that's what John does here. In these first 18 verses, he, he basically walks through everything we're going to learn about throughout this gospel. We're going to talk about what life is, what, what the light is, and all those different things. Um, so what I want to do is I want to break it into categories just so we can look at it real fast. I'm going to try to try to not to lose y'all. The first part is the word. The second part is the witness. And because I'm not very good at alliteration, the third part is the response. Nobody got the joke. Is that how you spell response? The what else did I say? And the yeah, and the fulfillment. How Jesus is the fulfillment. Okay, this is one through five. This is going to be six through something, six through eight, and this is nine through thirteen. I'm just looking fourteen through eighteen. Okay. That's the that's kind of the subject of those verses. That may help you, it may not, whatever. Alright, so the word in the beginning, the word was. No matter how far you push back the beginning, the word already was. Jesus already was. Remember, most of these in the first two verses, y'all learned when we did the Trinity, right? That Jesus was God, and he was with God, and he is God, but yet he's distinct from the Father. The Father is not the Son, but yet they're... Each is all of God. So if you're confused about any of that, still go back and listen to those Trinity things. But and right here, this is why we went over the Trinity, because you have to kind of know that to get sense out of these first two verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the first five verses here are going to describe the Word. He is eternally existent. That means he's always existed. Jesus, there was never a time when Jesus was not. Now, a lot of people have trouble with that. And to be honest, it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact. Somebody asked me the other day uh, after class. Um, I know that God's uh, who well, I know God made all these things. But who made God like can you think of something that doesn't have a beginning? It's kind of hard because everything that we know has a beginning and has an end. You know, everything starts and then it stops. And, start, and you can't really have something without a cause of that something. But what I told them was you got to remember time is a thing. I mean, time moving and God was God before even time was created. There was no time. There was no space. There was no, there was nothing but just God. So God eternally existed. He exists outside of time, which is really hard for us to wrap our minds around. But when it says in the beginning, the word was, it's saying it don't matter if you want to say it, creation is in the beginning or before wherever you put in the beginning, the word already was. It had already existed. 
And he is the agent of creation. It was, it was through the word that God created. He said, you know, let there be, and there was. Somebody read verse 4, because my iPad just crashed. In him was life, and the life was the life of In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Okay. He's still describing who God is, basically, in the first five verses. It's who Jesus is. And in him was life. Um, It's talking about life and light in that verse. That's what I struggled with a bunch this week, you know, because I've read this a bunch of times, and I'm sure you've read it a bunch of times before. But then when you get ready to start really digging into it, you start asking questions that maybe you didn't ask before. And to be honest... Life and light in that verse is going to be explained throughout the gospel. I looked it up. It's like 33 times the word life is used. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and you will have eternal life, and this is life and life and life. And then like 20-something times light is used. I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. You know, if, if, the, you know, if the light, don't hide your light under a bushel. And, and so life and light are, are themes that John uses all the way through the book. The life here that he's talking about, it kind of connects the two verses because he's talking about creation. He created life, but he's also talking about spiritual life. He's talking about eternal life. What's the opposite of life? Death, right? So the spiritual life that he's talking about here is in him, in Christ, in the word of God, he brought life. That's freedom from death, freedom from the curse of sin, freedom from the sorrows of the world, the things that we have to go through, the things that we live in, all those things. That's spiritual life. When God raises you from the dead, when he, when he, uh, being born again. Okay, y'all, y'all, everybody good? You with me? Okay. In him was life and the life was the light. He brought this message to us. He brought this revelation to us. He brought, he came to communicate to us that there is eternal life. There is a relationship with God. There is a way out. Understand? Anybody got any questions? Anybody not understand all that? Anybody care? Y'all with me? Okay, I'm like sweating. Y'all are like looking at me like, man, what does this have to do with anything? Okay. Did I just put chalk all over my face? I am a white, I'm a white man. Huh? You ain't gonna lick my face, are you? (laughs) All right. So, yeah. All right. Verse five. The light shines in the darkness. It's real poetic in this first part. I know. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. What does it mean? What's light and darkness in the verse? If the light shines in the darkness, based on what he's already said, what is? What's the light? All those things are right. God, Jesus, salvation, the freedom from sin, eternal life. All those things. It's the whole package. The message has been brought forth. The light has shone in the darkness. What's the darkness? Death. Death. What else? (laughs) In your in your best Earl. It's Earl. Earl. Yeah. Sin. That's right. 
it's 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 this world that we that we dwell in that's marred by the curse by death by sin by by all these things the light has shown the people that were sitting in darkness a great light has has dawned upon them that's what they said when Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon but um, he has come and brought this beautiful truth of eternal life, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, comprehend there doesn't necessarily mean understand, like the darkness is sitting there going, hmm, I don't really understand what that is, you know? It's more like apprehend. The, the darkness didn't lay hold of it. The darkness didn't receive it. A lot of John's message here in the first 18 verses is about you have to receive him. You don't receive a plan. You don't receive a belief system. You don't receive a religion. You don't receive, you receive a person and that person is Jesus. So the darkness here didn't comprehend it means it didn't lay hold of it. Why do you think the darkness, which is the world system, for lack of a better way to put it, why didn't it receive the light, which is Jesus and the message of salvation, eternal life? Is it because it didn't know about the light? No, because it did. Yeah, they didn't accept the light. Why didn't they accept the light, you think? Just, yeah, they didn't want it. That's true. Uh, John, John 3, uh, sorry, I was distracted there. John 3 something. Man, I know I wrote it down. Is that where it says the light came into the world? Yeah, read that. Yeah, that's why they didn't accept the light. The light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light. That's why they did. No problem. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so that's the word. Man, I got to get a Bible. My iPad keeps crashing along with me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, and now he, in verse 6, 7, and 8, he's going to talk about the witness to the light. The light, shut up. I don't even want to. The light, the witness to the light uh, is, uh, okay, all right. Let's all take a deep breath. All right. The witness to the light is the is the reason that the world knew that the light existed. Okay? Alright. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Is this the John that wrote the book? No. This is John who? John the Baptist. Right. The same came for a witness. This guy came for a witness. The witness here, a lot of times, when you see the word witness in the Bible, it, it isn't just somebody that watches, like we witness something. It's somebody that testifies. It's a, you're being a witness. You're, you're telling what you saw. Uh, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Why did he bear witness to the light? So that, so that all men through him might believe. It's right there in verse 7. 
That's right. So he came so that that's the that's the uh, the reason this gospel was written. You see it right here, and you'll see it at the very very end. John says, um, "I've written these things, you know, so that you know that Jesus is the Christ, and by by knowing that he is the Christ, that you might have life in his name." So he the gospel is so that you would believe in Christ, that you would believe in who he is. He says he was not the light. John the Baptist was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. So his purpose is just to testify to that light. Now we get to the response. What we were supposed to do, what happened. That was the true light, Jesus, basically. He was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. What does that mean? Lighteth every man. Huh? He made him. That's true. What was light in the previous verse that we looked at? Huh? Right. Well, it was the, the knowledge of spiritual life. It was understanding that eternal life has come into the dark world. The understanding that God has sent his son and that, you know, it was the understanding, the, the communication and revelation of eternal life. Okay. So he lights every man that comes into the world means that God's message, God's truth has gone out for the entire world to to hear that salvation is for all men. If you were a Jewish person and you were reading this book, uh, first of all, you you would probably agree with him about the word. He's really going to turn the boat over if you were a Jewish guy when he says the word became flesh here in a minute. But if you said if you were a Jewish person, you know that you know we are the people of God and God has blessed us and the old dirty Gentiles, you know they don't need to be in there. If if you read that God has the word has come and it's lighting every man, you'd think, whoa, wait a minute now, what do you mean it's lighting every man? I mean, they're out there and we're in here, you know, so we're we're part of God's people. We're part of the chosen race. You know, how can you say that the word has is a, is given light to every single man? So uh, what it's talking about there is that the message has gone out, the revelation of God, the communication. God has communicated with people, mankind, to understand that there is salvation, that we are under God's wrath, that we are under his condemnation. And unless we it's going to tell us here in just a second, unless we receive this relationship that he has offered through the sacrifice of his son, we're going to remain in darkness. Y'all with me? Everybody good? Okay, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Doesn't mean that they just didn't know him like, hey, Jesus, you know, but it meant it wasn't in relationship with him. He came unto his own. Who is his own? That's true. That's true. And his own received him not. But as many as received him. So we saw that those are the ones who rejected him. Is anyone that rejected him. If you look, uh, he came to his own, his own received him not. He came into his own. The verb there, the, I mean, not the verb, but the, the, his own is in the neuter. So it's talking about anything, everything, the world. He came into his own. He came into his own creation. He owns it. He made it. It says before he, nothing was made through him that wasn't made through him. So anything you make, you own. And so he owns it. He came into his own, but the second own and his own, that is masculine, which refers to people. 
So his own did not receive it. See what I mean? Make sense? The, the reason that's important is because we're not just talking about Jesus and the Jewish people. We're talking about Jesus and the world. You see what I mean? Okay. But as many as received him, whoever it was, doesn't matter if Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, whoever. But as many as received him, to them he gave, gave he power or authority there to become the sons of God. Okay, so what he's saying is, what he's saying there is the ones who believe in his name, and we're going to discuss that John's gospel is filled with believe this, believe this, believe this, receive him. The ones who have received him, notice it's a person. How do you receive a person? Huh? Right, right. To receive him, to welcome him in, that's a good way to put it. To welcome him in, to come into relationship with him. This is the the crux of John's gospel is not just that, hey, you got to believe rightly. You know, a lot of people think, and this is a lot of people's hang up, that Christianity is, is just believing the set of facts that we believe. And so when uh, you you hear like Christianity is true and whatever's false out there, you know, Islam is false. You'll say, well, you're just, you know, how can you say just because you believe a set of facts that your facts are better than these set of facts? Or just because you believe a certain way, how can you say that you're believing this certain way is better than so-and-so believing whatever certain way? And understand that we're not saying that at all. We're not saying that you're saved by believing X, Y, and Z. You're saved by a person. A person saves you. Jesus saves you. He saves you. And when you receive Christ, when you receive Him, He comes in into your life and changes you to desire God. You with me? So we're not talking about, if you say, if I got up here and I said, okay, this is what Christians believe, one, two, three, four, five, and I just make you a list, okay? You believe this, you believe that, you believe this, you believe that, uh, and, and I make you like a, a set of rules, and you come up and you say, okay, I can agree with that, I agree with that, I agree with that, I agree with that. That doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is when you believe on His name and receive Him as a person. You're not saved by a plan, you're saved by a man. Does that make sense? You're saved by the person, Jesus Christ, the God-man. And it explains to you how to receive him. Verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power, or the right, the authority, to become the sons of God. And here's the explanation of receiving him, even to them that what? Believe on his name. What does it mean to believe on his name? Yeah, to what? Yeah, to have faith, to trust. John's gospel is really, it's really different than the other gospels in a lot of ways. But the most striking way to me is like the first 11 chapters is about Jesus's ministry and his going, you know, and he does the big seven big miracles and, and, you know, other things too. But those are the, the seven big I am statements. And then the whole rest of the book is about the last week of his life and the crucifixion. So you got 11 chapters worth of ministry, whereas Matthew, Mark, Luke, most of them is ministry. And then you got the little bit at the end where it's the cross, where John is 
the, half the book is ministry and the other half of the book is the last week of his life as he goes into Jerusalem. So when he, when, when, why was I saying it? Because he, sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. Oh yeah, believe on his name. So when it's talking about, when it's talking about believing on his name, it's talking about expressing faith that this is the Messiah that came to take away my sin. Okay. When you say, it's not just that Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. It's that Jesus came to take away my sin. See what I mean? If you can wrap your head around God's soul plan and John is kind of doing that here by referencing back to Genesis, it's giving man back to the relationship that he had with Adam when he created. Sure. Yeah, that's and what that perfect relationship where he walked with God. He right. communicated with God. And, you know, they were they were in total relationship. Right. No, no, I think that's true, and it's a fulfillment. We'll see that at the end of verse 18 and at the end of, of, of John is that Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies, all the promises of God, all the... Jesus is God's final word to you. You know, not that God didn't speak anymore, but that there's never going to be another way of salvation. There's never going to be another way of coming into relationship with God. There's never going to be another... Uh, movement of God outside of Jesus. You understand what I say when I'm saying that? I don't mean there's never going to be another movement of God, but like, you know, God said, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to destroy the world. And then Noah. Okay. And then God said, okay, now now I've had enough. We're going to start with Abraham and we're going to move forward. And then, you know, now we're going to go through the nation of Israel. And, you know, God, there, there are epochs in history where you can see God just did something. Well, it's not going to be another one of those. Jesus is the final one. And when he returns, it's going to be the end of history. You know, it's going to be, there's not going to be no other, no other great deal. So, uh, sons of God. Did you see how the son of God became man so that man could become sons of God? You see that? He took your place so you could take his place. Not literally, but you'd be in him. See what I mean? That you could become sons of God. If you was a Jewish man, you was reading this, you'd like, whoa, wait a minute now. Ye. All through the Old Testament, sons of God, children of God, more literally would be, uh, yeah, be his people. So God offers you, God offers the world the sin to light to. You can be sons of God. You can be His people. You can be His children. You can be part of the family. Think about adopting, being adopted, or having ado- adopting a kid or whatever. I mean, that's kind of what's going on here. When you receive a person, you are adopted into the family. Born of God. Verse, where am I at? 13, 13 really? Yeah, which were these people who received him, the ones who received him are the ones who are born again. Now, y'all to be very familiar with that phrase. If you were first reading John for the first time, though, you'd have no idea. We're not going to get he doesn't explain it really until John chapter three. You know, you must be born again. You will not see the kingdom of heaven. But here he just gives us a hint. But as many as no, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, I would say husband, but of God. 
being born of God. Now, I want you to look at those three things. And it's talking about the new birth, when you're saved. It's talking about when you're regenerated, when you're made new, when the Holy Spirit comes. That's the birth that he's talking about. It is of, it's of God. Not of blood means not based on any particular bloodline that you're part of. You know, So the Jewish man in the tribe of whatever couldn't say, hey, I'm a son of God because I'm in the tribe of whatever. The, the, the Christian person today who is raised in Christian family and lives in Texas where all, everybody's a Christian. Y'all seen that lady? Anyway, that's, that's another story. Uh, that person who was raised in, you know, all just everything they know is Christian can't say I am a Christian because I was born in this and I was raised in this I, it is it, it has to be a new birth take place it has to be you have to be born of God you have to receive him and you have to be born of God it doesn't matter what bloodline you're from doesn't matter what your parents did doesn't matter what your great 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 grandfather did if I could trace my family tree all the way back to one of Jesus's disciples it would not matter not one bit as to whether I was a son of God whether I was part of the family of God God does not have grandchildren. Okay? You understand? There aren't he only has children. He has children and not children. There are no grandchildren. So that's why you'll hear, are you a Christian? Say, yeah, my dad is a preacher. It's like, that don't mean nothing. Don't mean nothing. Born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You cannot, listen, we've we've talked about this before. You cannot pick and choose when you decide to be a Christian. You cannot pick and choose when God calls you. You can't. You you become born again. You become a Christian when the Holy Spirit draws you, when you're convicted of your sin, when God calls you. You understand? Like that's why the like Brother Eddie and the preachers will put so much emphasis on today is the day of salvation. Because if God's calling you and drawing you, He He I mean He He don't have to draw you again. You know what I mean? He don't have to. He don't He don't owe you. You know, 10 more years of calling you and drawing you. You ever heard that story that Brother Eddie tells about the guy in the hospital? And they're saying he's about to die, saying, uh, come on, accept Jesus. And the guy's saying, I know I, I know, I need to and I want to, but I just can't, you know. Um, it's not about making a decision. Okay, I have decided I will become son of God. It's about being born again. It's about being born from God. I tell this story. I took the youth to, uh, not the youth, but the kids, the kids camp one year. And uh, yeah, it was pretty good. It's actually a good camp. You know, we've been to a lot of bad ones, but this one was, it's pretty good. You know, they explained salvation really good, repentance. And these were little kids and they did it real good. And so a couple weeks later we got home and a guy calls me from the camp. He was saying, he, he said, you have a good time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah. And uh, he said, how many decisions did you have? And I was like, decisions about what? <laughs> And so he was, you know, that kind of threw him off a little. He was like, well, you know, decisions about Christ. And I said, well, we don't really do decisions. We do faith. And he said, it was a little silence. He said, uh, okay, thank you. And hung up. <laughs> now, I know what he meant. I know what he meant. And, you know, I, I probably would have explained it if he wouldn't have hung up. But if... If you've been, like a lot of y'all been in youth, I mean, you've seen, you could stand up there and give just this rip-roaring sermon, and I could get, I mean, I could preach it where 
5,000 people would come. Oh yeah, I want that, I want that. But if they're not drawn by the Spirit, they're not born of God, you know what's going to happen? In three weeks' time, they're going to be out the back door. You know, you've seen, we've seen youth at youth retreats and camps with their hands in the air. And just, I mean, I've took pictures of kids with their hands in the air worshiping and sent to their parents and stuff. Those same kids... Not, not, even, not even close to being in church anywhere, following Christ in any way. You know what I mean? You can decide. I mean, you can decide. How many times have you said, I'm going to stop doing this, and then a week later, you're back, right back into it. You know what I mean? You, your decision isn't the power that causes you to be born again. Now, do you have to make a decision to be born again? Yes, you have to decide to receive. I'm not saying there is no decision, but you being saved and based on your decision, it's based on Jesus saving you. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay. Not the will of the flesh. That's why it says flesh there. It's not, it's the will, my, my own willpower. Not of my own willpower, nor of the will of man. The word man in Greek is also the word for husband. So the way the context is set up, I'm thinking like the will of the husband, like the husband saying, hey, we finna have a baby. You know what I mean? So anyway, anyway, but of God, born of God. And the word was made flesh. Now here's the shockwave that would have went. I mean, we already know it. We know the word is Jesus, but the guy reading this for the first time would be like, what? The word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. This is the fulfillment of all God's I will be with you promises. And in, in back in the Old Testament, how much time I got left? Oh, I got 10 minutes. In the Old Testament, God made a promise to Abraham. And that's what pretty much the whole Bible is based on. What was the promise? What did he promise him? Anybody know? He promised him three things. Give many nations. What else? Nobody know? Houston, you're in the kid. You ought to know. You ought to know. Okay, go ahead. Be blessed. The whole world would be blessed through him. And he'd give him a land to live in. Okay? So he would give him. And part of that blessing of I will make you a great nation and give you a land was I will be your God. You will be my people. And I will dwell with you. And it was basically a return back to the garden like, like Jennifer said. I will be there with you. I will dwell with you. And the word here, dwelt... God, uh, we're at 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us is, is, it's the same word that's translated in the Greek Old Testament over and over again for tabernacle. So what it's saying is the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Who knows what the tabernacle is? Oh, y'all are killing me. What is the tabernacle? Where the Well, yes, that's true, but that was the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle. Like, the tabernacle was God's tent. You know, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, and after Moses in Mount Sinai and all that, and they were wandering around, they would go and set up all their tents, you know? And, and they would set up their tents, and God's tent would be in the middle. And whenever they would meet with God, Moses would go to the tent, and the cloud would come down over the tent, you know, and Moses would talk to, you know. The tabernacle is where God dwelt with his people. So if you were reading this, 
And it says, the Word became flesh and He tabernacled among us. This promise, this Word becoming flesh is God's promise fulfilled that said, I will dwell with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will come. It's truly, He's truly Emmanuel. You know, Emmanuel means God with us. You know, it's God with us. He dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. Why is that important? Y'all, you got to read your Old Testament. I mean, that's so, everything's based, all the New Testament stuff is based on the Old Testament. You see his glory, but why is that important? Who asked to see God's glory in the Old Testament? Moses. And what did God say? Can't see my glory and live. So what did God do? He put him in the cleft of the rock and he showed him the backside. You know, I mean, not the backside, but you know what I'm saying? He showed, he said, you can see my, okay. You know what I mean when I said that. He he said, I'll pass before you and you can see, you'll be able to see my glory. And so Jesus came and he tabernacled among us, but it says we saw his glory. He revealed to us who the Father is. So all those passages about light and life and and what they mean and how he revealed, it's Jesus that reveals to us who God is. The very end of this section is going to say no one has seen God at any time. But, but wait a minute, a lot of people saw God in the Old Testament, didn't they? Who, give me some, who saw God? Moses saw God in the burning bush. The Israelites saw the pillar of cloud. It says it was the angel of the Lord. And then later it says, I am that I am. Uh, Joshua saw the captain of the, captain of the, you know, it was the Lord. The, Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God. Who else? Anybody? A lot of people saw and talk, it says Moses talked to God face to face. But what does it mean that it says no one has seen God, but the only begotten Son has revealed it? It's verse 18. Let's skip there and then we'll come back to this one. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of who? The Father. The Father he has declared Him. Who did they see? Who was in the burning bush? It's the sun. It was the sun. Who was in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire? It was the sun. Right. Now, they didn't know his name was going to be Jesus when he became, but it was when God... Go home and read that. Go home and read the burning bush. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared in the burning bush. But then the burning bush says, I am that I am. He talks like I'm God. I am God. And so the Son has always been the revelation of the Father. And now the Son has been made flesh where we can see Him walking around. We can look at what, you know, when we see Him and how He interacts with us and the love that He shows, we see who the Father is. When you think about God the Father, what do you think about? Hopefully you don't think about like the old bearded guy with the clock in the clouds, you know. No. I mean, you think the Father, 
is like Jesus because Jesus reveals to us who the Father is. So when you get a picture of Jesus with the little kids sitting on his lap, you know, and he telling his disciples, you know, don't stop the kids from coming to me. You get a picture of the Father's love for us. When you get a picture of Jesus telling the Pharisees to go take a hike because their man-made rules aren't getting it done, you get a picture of how the Father sees uh, us and our works and all those things. See what I'm saying? Jesus has revealed to us God, the Father. So we know what God the Father is like. We know, you know, how He feels toward this and that. We know how He desires us. We know what He loves and what He hates. We know His demeanor based on what the Son has showed us. Y'all got that? Does that make sense? Uh, go back up. John bore witness to him, verse 15. This was he who, who I spoke. He that coming after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John was testifying. And of his fullness we all have received, and grace for grace, which means grace in place of grace. Now that's explained in the next verse. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You ever thought of the law as grace? Yeah. Because God didn't have to tell us what was right and wrong. It was a grace that He gave. But now, grace and truth has been given in Christ. And then no man has seen God any time. Only the begotten Son, which is, of the, out of the, is in the bosom of the Father, He's declared Him. Now, that is a very complex 18 verses. You could, take, you could take each one of those verses, you could take clauses in that and preach for weeks and weeks and weeks on a time, at a time. So that was very quick, very went over it very fast. But there's so much stuff in there. There's so much, there's so much to be gleaned out of that. There, it's easy enough for a child to understand, but it's so deep that theologians could, I mean, you could never mine everything out of there. When we start next week, we're going to actually start, it's going to start telling the story. And then we're going to start reading the narrative. We're going to start reading what Jesus did, who Jesus was. Was, you know the things that happened to him and what he what he said and all those kind of things um, but this is basically what this is is it's a, it's a, a picture of where we're going to go in the gospel of John it's gone through from the beginning of creation even before creation all the way down through what, what they call salvation history you know uh, and it shows Jesus as the fulfillment of this history there's nothing left that the father has to give than his son. All the blessings, all the, all the promises of God in him are yea and amen. Now I want you to think about that and we'll, we'll leave it there. Think about that for a moment. All the things that we saw in Romans, all the things that we've seen so far in John, there is nothing that you can do now that is going to make your position with the Father any greater than it is right now if you are in Christ. See what I mean? I mean, think about that for a minute. No matter what you do, no matter what you don't do, no matter how good you do it, no matter how bad you fail at it, Jesus has either given you 100% perfect righteousness before the Father's eyes, so when you stand there, you're absolutely perfect in Christ, or you have absolutely no goodness whatsoever at all. See what I mean? So, two things. Number one... That should, that should free you 
to live for God. Because now, you know, you're not having to work for your meal. You know, you're not having to work to get... And it frees you that when you when you mess up, when you fail, when you when you when you sin, when you when you you know don't do what you're supposed to do, it frees you from the condemnation of that. It doesn't. It, it should make you feel bad. You should be convicted, and you will be convicted, and you will be disciplined by a loving father. But it frees you from the condemnation. You see, on my best day, the best day I ever had living for God, you know how God saw me? Perfect in Christ Jesus. And on the absolute worst day, you know, felt bad, treated people like crap. Some dude cut, cut me off in traffic and I thought about giving him the bird. And, you know, what, you just make up your own day, whatever. On my worst day, how does God see me? Perfect. If I'm a Christian. Perfect. Now you work out your own. If you run around giving people a bird, you know, y'all work out your own salvation. But if you're a Christian, he sees you perfect in Christ. Now, doesn't that, I mean, it just, it's, it's liberating for me, you know, because the more, the more I grow as a Christian, the uglier I, I see myself, my heart as I know, you know, but the uglier I see my heart, the greater it makes Jesus look. I mean, because he knew all that stuff when he saved me. you have a question? Oh, wow. What a pleasant surprise. Wow. I'm just saying, no, nobody asked, no, not just you. Um, are you saying that we are always forgiven and we're always looked as perfect because Jesus died for our sake and we will be forgiven? Is that what? Yeah. Well, no, yeah. Jesus died to pay for all our sins. Not just the ones that we did in the past, but the ones that we're going to do in the future as well. Now, if you're thinking, if, if that truth makes you think, well, yeah, I'm going to go sin all I want. You probably need to check your salvation because you may not have it, right? Because... What also happens is he comes to live with inside of inside of us and we desire new things we desire to do good. So when a Christian sins he's immediately Yeah, he's well he's immediately disciplined by the Holy Spirit, disciplined by the Father. You know, you wouldn't let CJ go play out on that road we live on and people driving and God's not going to let his children wander off into things that are going to hurt them without some kind of discipline as well. But we we know that Every single day that I live, I mean, the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you know, and the, the times when I actually do that are few and far between, if any, you know, I mean, this morning as I got out of bed, the hour that I spent at the house before I came here, during that hour, did I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, strength? I mean, what does that entail? You know, I don't know. I don't know if I ever had you know what I mean? And so you're constantly in need of forgiveness yes. at every moment of every day, every second of every hour. And but we have that choice but, now. And we have that because of what Jesus did for us. Yeah. And we're not condemned like what you said before. Right. You're not, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ and he lives inside of you, the Father looks at you and he sees you through the sacrifice of his son. See what I mean? No matter what you do, what you don't do, what you are, what you whatever, but he sees you through that sacrifice. So that sacrifice kind of stands in front of you like this. And if Jimmy's Jesus and his sacrifice, all I can see is the perfection of my son. See what I mean? Now, if I ever step out from behind, 
Jesus and He sees me, I'm in trouble. Yeah. We got just a few minutes.